Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Big Fish. This is a family fantasy flashback fictional American biopic drama directed by Tim Burton. The cast includes The High Ground, Dr. Manhattan, Hercule Poirot, Jessica Lange, Roy Anderson, Frank Reynolds, Maul, and Bellatrix Strange. Oh, and don't forget a very young Hannah Montana. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on YouTube. I was almost fooled into watching it on Amazon because fool. It, it said it was free, and it is free, but with ads. <gasps> and I, I feel like that's a greater price to pay than just giving them my money. Damn. To have my movie <laughs> interrupted multiple times by ads... I almost wanted to watch it just to see what kind of that's ads? like. Well, even just to see if it's like ads at the beginning or ads spliced in the middle, you know? Like if I could get through ads like you're watching it at the theater, that would actually be okay with me because I would sure. just get up and walk away and then come back once the ads are done. But mid-roll ads would ruin it for me. Yeah, I mean, imagine watching a movie and they just show you ads like every 20 minutes, right? And it's the same ads like every hour. And, I understand what and it's, it's like to like... watch a movie on TV. Okay? <laughs> this, is not a new, this is not new to me. But we live in the age of streaming, okay? And that's just not an option that I was even aware existed in the streaming universe, you know, right, as far right. as watching movies go. But you're right. It's not that out of the ordinary. No, YouTube no, no, videos no. have mid-roll My ads. point is not that you're my point is not to make you look silly it's to make people who watch cable tv think about what they're doing (laughs) because at this point what are you doing don't watch movies on tv anymore stop using cable (laughs) i agree with that i definitely agree with that so joey why don't you give us the synopsis for big fish can a man fish is a man a fish can you fish a man man fish that's big fish. Let's start off with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Big Fish? This is such a beautiful story. It's a family drama that's really about reconnecting and recognition. Um, it's full of wonderful moments, uh, really, really great sets and special effects that really stand up against the test of time. Um, and it's just a, again, beautiful story. What about you? Yeah, I agree with all of that. This movie is a celebration of storytelling, which I I think that's great. I think that's a great thing to celebrate. Ewan McGregor is so charming. I I just love. I mean, growing up with the prequels, the Star Wars prequels, I love him, and he's he's just incredibly charming in uh, this entire movie. Tim Burton brings the magic and the whimsy that he's known for so you you love to have that i agree with you the special effects are great and they definitely live up to the test of time this movie has a great soundtrack and it just makes me feel good about being alive this movie really has a wholesome message behind it and um and that's it really made me feel good to watch so let's talk about what we didn't like what are the cons for you joey infidelity really it's kind of a strange turning point in the movie of like like and it's kind of a question of like is what's real obviously that the whole movie is like what's real what's what's actually happening um and uh the whole relationship he has with jenny um uh, when she's older and like goes and fixes her house and spends all this time with her like it's it's just a little too it's just a little weird 
um, and, and it kind of taints the whole story in a way. Um, and I don't really know if I agree with the movie's overall message, uh, but I think we'll get to that at the end. Okay. Um, my biggest criticism is I think they missed an opportunity to really drive home their message um, by kind of comparing William's writing style or storytelling style to Edward's because we don't really know William that well at the beginning of this movie. We kind of just get right into it. We know he's a writer, but okay, what does he write? You know, it doesn't really, they don't really go into it. I think that there was an opportunity for William to be like, uh, you know, father, I write the facts. I don't want any part of like my stories to be embellished or untrue. And it's like, no, William, like that's the beauty of storytelling. You have to, and he has to be convinced of that or something. But instead, I don't think that Williams is, you know, uh, occupation as a writer, despite being so adjacent to being a storyteller, matters all that much. It doesn't. William could have been a fireman. You know, it to me, it doesn't seem like it's all that important, despite it being on the cusp of being important. Yeah, I completely agree with this because uh, I didn't. I was, I was as I was watching it, I didn't really get the. I got the sense, I guess. Because there's one line of dialogue where he says, we're, we're storytellers, William. Um, but I was like, that was the first point where I was like, oh, wait, does he write stuff? Like, that totally went over my head. I so, went back to the scene where he's at work, and yeah. you, he answers the phone and says the name of his publishing company that he works for. That's it. There's so no what is more... he? Is he like a copy editor? Is he like a middle I can't. I don't know. Like, that's, yeah, so I completely agree. Like, if they're going to have that comparison, then... Like make it more stark, and you don't have to explicitly say like, "Oh, I um, you know, the encyclopedia is the only thing for me." Kind of, you know, like <laughs> you gotta you just just show like, "Oh, he's writing something, or he's struggling to write fiction, or like he only writes nonfiction. He's like a best-selling nonfiction art like right. author, or like he's a he's a journalist or something like that." You know, and that um, and contrast both of those because exactly. I think well, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, just for people who come away from this movie still unsure about embellishing in stories like this, make it clearer to us why you think it's good, right? Right. Compare it to staying strictly fact-based or whatever style you want to say William has, and then make the case. Because right now, you kind of just don't really uh, like consider that side of it, despite trying to get that by saying, that oh, they're both writers, they're both storytellers. That's a great point. Okay. Okay. That's our pros and our cons. Let's move on to our overall section. Joey, take it away. Wow. Another great movie we're doing on this podcast. Wow. (laughs) Tim Burton really delivers in this strange and wonderful tale of an extraordinary man's life. The stories are filled with impossible things and insane adventures and a very charming lead man, but they're all connected back to the story about family. The sets, the characters, the entire world is so impressive and so unique, and Burton's dark and twisted visual style gives life to what is ultimately one of the most universal and simple stories of all, which is the connection between a father and his son. As with any fantasy story and the stories you see in this movie, the details are not as important as the feeling or the point. The point of Big Fish is to creatively tell this story of reconnection, and in the process, eulogize Edward Bloom and explain what his life was like. And there's so much I love about this. The movie tells a fun, heartfelt, and true story about the power stories hold in our lives. These stories flow endlessly out of Mr. O- old Mr. Bloom, and they have been repeated for decades until everyone knows them by heart, and they always end with some surprising twist. 
And you know, maybe none of it happened, or may, or at least it didn't happen the way he said, or maybe it did. The question is not so much what's real, but what do we want to believe? The truth, just the facts, none of the flavor, lacks the perspective of the toy storyteller and the emotions that come with an incredible, a truly incredible event. The facts can tell you how, but not the why. And for the why, only a truly great story will satisfy that question. I think. Like that's the, the, the real like message we're trying to get from this movie is that when you're telling a story, you have to it's not just about connecting uh, you know, how did we get from A to B? It's connecting to your audience and then showing, Oh, this is how I felt, this is how I perceived it, right? The giant was 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 thirty feet tall, the giant was fifty feet tall, you know. To him in that moment, the giant is so big, right? Maybe he wasn't actually that big, but it, like you when you tell the story you want to portray how much how insignificant and how small you felt compared to this thing in front of you and you do that in a way that is so visual that it becomes kind of part of that legend in a way and it and in that sense your audience is so much more invested but also so much more in your shoes, right? Because it's not just, oh, I'm observing this two interaction between these two people or this this situation. I'm there inside Edward Bloom's head, feeling the things he felt, and that's like that's a really really powerful story um, if you're able to pull it off. Yeah, I agree. I was actually a while back listening to this podcast with a bunch of comedians, and they were talking about it's like imagine. Because they're comedians and they're constantly having to be entertaining, especially with each other. You know, they have a reputation and they're uh, like if they go to a meal together, they're like, imagine just telling a story with no point. Like, imagine just striking like, hey, I went to the grocery store and like, that's it, you know? And, and I think that this Bloom would agree with them. That is like, no, you can't just say that. You have to get you have to tell the story and also give it a purpose. Why am I telling this story, right? Just to hear myself talk or to actually make somebody feel something. Right. And I think, yeah, I think that's super important. I mean, at, when I first sat down to watch this movie, and I try not to do this, I try not to make assumptions about movies, but it's it before you see them. But it's it's hard to resist sometimes. And I honestly thought I was like, oh man, this is gonna be some boring drama about how a son reconnects with his father by learning the like the truth maybe like the painful truth but the truth about his mysterious past but once they included baseball football and basketball i realized this was my kind of movie (laughs) i was just kidding of course but uh telling the story of a life well lived is definitely compelling right even if my first inclination is i would rather be watching something else once you realize what that entails it actually yeah it's obviously compelling just look at a movie like forrest gump which has a very similar feel to big fish um it's inspiring to see what life can be when you accept the inevitability of your own demise and focus on accomplishing the goals while you still can and on top of that tell an amazing story as you go uh like we said earlier tim burton is a fantastic director i think he's perfect for this type of movie where you're trying to uh accentuate the uh the embellishments you know you're trying to make it extra magical this is exactly who i'd want to bring in to do that i kind of associate tim burton with creepiness and while there were some like light creepy scenes in this movie um definitely the least creepy tim burton movie that comes to my mind um because he like i said he can really deliver on that aspect but the whimsy the magic it was all there. 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about like Nightmare Before Christmas, right? Like, yes. That movie is like it's so so weird, it's so like creepy and stuff, but it's got this like wonderful heart to it. And like, yeah, by the end, you really kind of connect to Jack Skellington. At the beginning, it's like he's this weird skeleton, but at the end, he's really like a human character. And this movie has that kind of same kind of quality where it's really focused on the heart, heart heartfulness of it. And it has this kind of weird, dark sense to it. There's witches and spiders and like weird kind of stuff that goes on and, and twisted houses and vines. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of dark, but it's in this way that's like really endearing. Um, and I really think Tim Burton shines through uh, with that kind of style. When, Edward Scissorhands uh, also makes me think of that, too. Well, yeah, it's speaking of Edward, um, when Edward went to that last house in Spectre that he had to buy and the, the uh, doorway was all crooked. Right, but I was the like, door was actually a parallelogram. Like, yes, it was actually a trapezoid. I, you know, like, it was like into the door frame. Now that's Tim Burton. Like, that <laughs> is a key. Like, that is spot on for him. But you're right. The vines growing, the trees attacking, all that stuff. It was, it was like, this is perfect for Tim Burton to be directing. Um, but one of the things I think is important that we talk about is the fish metaphor, right? This movie is called Big Fish. There's obviously heavily relied upon is this fish metaphor. So I think we should discuss it. So when Edward is young and suffering from gigantificationism, uh, which I learned is not a real thing. <laughs> that's, that's a zombie um, word if I've ever heard it. But yes, it, he learns about how goldfish will grow to different sizes depending on the size of their container. And they can grow to be, you know, multiple uh, sizes larger than their tiny little uh, goldfish size in a small bowl. Um, and the, the town of Ashton is meant to represent his initial fishbowl, right? The smallest fishbowl. He's the best at sports, all of them. He's the best at science. Like, it's almost hilarious how he's somehow the best at everything. Yes. And he solves all the town's problems. He is even given the key to the city when he saves the town from the giant. And at that point, it's clear. I mean, that key, I think, very easily uh, indicates that he has grown as much as he can in this tiny fishbowl that is Ashton. And he can either stay as the biggest fish in a small bowl or move on to something bigger, right? And that's what he ends up doing. That's why that uh, he's such a compelling guy. It's, it's because this is how he lives his life. He moves on and shortly after ends up in the town of Spectre. And Spectre is seemingly perfect, right? With nice folks everywhere, the best pie you've ever had, yep. and all of the chairs are rocking chairs, which we all know <laughs> is the superior form of chair, right? And folks in Spectre don't wear shoes. They don't need shoes because they aren't going anywhere. That's actually the problem, is that they aren't going anywhere. Spectre represents the stagnation of staying in your comfort zone, right? When you don't have to struggle, you don't have to grow. And we can see this exemplified through Steve Buscemi's character of Norther Winslow. Norther is supposed to be some great poet, but since he arrived in Spectre 12 years ago, nobody challenges his work. Everybody says he's so great, it doesn't matter what he writes. Let me just remind you what the poem that norther wrote it goes the grass so green skies so blue specter is really great okay <laughs> that's all he's got so far and while he says it, it is a work in progress it's not his finished work 
It doesn't matter if he ever finishes his work. He'll always be the great poet in the town of Spectre. He'll always be comfortable. And that's the problem. If Norther stays in his comfort zone, he'll never accomplish anything as an artist. Edward realizes this, and he knows he can't stay. But leaving is no easy task. Just like in real life, leaving your comfort zone is never easy. They, they say no one has ever left before, right? So he's going into unknown territory. And the one thing that is certain is that it's going to be very painful on account of him not having any shoes. And he talks about that. He knows it will be very painful for him. And also, as he's leaving, they say, you won't find a better place. But again, he says that isn't, he's not looking for a better place. He's looking to live his life. And he knows he can't do that if he stays inspector forever. Which I think that's super powerful. I, I like to, this metaphor for this comfort zone, I yes. think is super important. And um, yeah, and then leaving, of course, like that, that being such a difficult task. I mean, it reminds me of like the allegory of the cave, right? Where yes. like you're so comfortable in your own space and then you're dragged out into like the blinding light and it's, and it's very painful, but then you realize you're better for it just because you actually see how things really are instead of being obscured by um, what's right in front of you. Exactly. And I think that those two like towns are really the most powerful part part of like this fish in a like changing water sizes. Like when Edward makes it to the circus, he transitions from being the big fish in a small pond to being a small fish in a large pond. Like he's no longer considered that's just the greatest. People don't automatically love him. He has to work his way up from the bottom. He's a nobody slaving for totally illegal compensation. <laughs> for like, nothing. For, for literally nothing. Li- well, not literally. He gets monthly information about a girl he's interested in, and there's no vetting of this information, <laughs> right? Like, there's no nobody saying that has to be a certain quality or certain amount of information. She it's, likes music. <laughs> it's criminal. That one is especially criminal. Are you kidding me? She likes music? Oh, good. You know, well, she's got ears, I guess. And, um, yeah, and, yeah that, and scene has- is, that scene is so great. I love that montage because he's like, because he, he gets a new piece of information and then he's doing something very dangerous and like saying to himself, like reminding himself, she loves music. And then there's like <laughs> motorcycles rolling around him inside the cage. And- Those are such great effects. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, um, yeah, so, but he has to work his way up is what I'm trying to say. It's, it's a struggle and it's a long struggle. He eventually ends up marrying the love of his life, starting a successful business, purchasing an entire town, and ultimately being renowned by many. And this shows that by constantly growing and challenging himself, Edward lives a life that's worth telling a story about. And a story that's even better when it's told by a great storyteller like Edward. Right. <laughs> so I, I really like that. I think that the most powerful part of the fish metaphor for me is this like constantly challenging yourself trying not to be comfortable being the big fish in a small pond um obviously it goes beyond that but i think that that is a little more powerful than being like watch he's spending his free time in the pool (laughs) (laughs) right well that's the thing is like there's there's all this other kind of like the motif of being a fish or him being a fish like expands like really far i mean it's it's quite a conceit because he's like really dry or like he's i've always been thirsty and like yeah. he's like laying in the tub with all his clothes on you know it's just like it's just weird um, did you feel like that went to like i i for me that compelling part of the like the big fish metaphor or motif kind of falls off in the last like or in like the i don't know the back third of the movie or maybe even like 
not the very end, but like leading up towards the end, I feel like it's a little less powerful. Well, the stories certainly don't reflect it as clearly, but it, it does lead back in, right? I mean, that's what's one of his favorite stories is how he caught the fish on the day his son was born. Right, um, with his wedding ring. Right, and like that whole... I don't know. I, I think they, they keep it up to the point where they're constantly reminding you that it's a, she's a fish just so that they have that really great payoff at the end uh, where he turns into the fish at, um, once he's put in the river, which I think is totally worth it. So, oh, yeah. The ending is very it's an amazing payoff, um, yeah. which, you know, showing all the rest of that stuff definitely makes it worth it. One of the other things I wanted to comment on was uh, this movie's commentary on the american financial system oh yes which I, this came out of nowhere with uh steve buscemi wanting to rob this bank but then when they get to the vault they realize it's already been robbed by speculators in texas real estate uh so then norther after he learns a little bit more about the american financial system decides he wants to go where he can really pull off a big time heist wall street right and even though norther himself is seemingly redeemed by what he ends up using his money for. Like he buys a house for Edward and he helps purchasing he helps in purchasing the town of Spectre. But it's clear that this movie views this kind of money manipulation as theft, which I thought was just an interesting thing to kind of slide in there. Yeah, well, I think it goes even further than that because when Edward returns to Spectre, right? He um I don't remember exactly why he went back, but he he went back and the whole town had been destroyed by like main like being mainstreamed, I guess. Like all this new stuff had come in, but they also mentioned debt that like all yes. of the um like stores went into debt or something and then they all collapsed. And so Edward comes in and then does the opposite where he buys everything and then tells them they don't owe him anything, right? And that's what saves the town. I think that's that's pretty that, telling in a way. <laughs> yo, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know how it really fits in with like the the fish or that stuff, but it definitely <laughs> puts across this idea of when you uh, have fish, you don't need any money. <laughs> <laughs> you t- give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man about the flaws of capitalism, <laughs> he'll buy your he'll buy a town. <laughs> uh, but I just thought that was a really interesting inclusion. Um, okay, do you want to? You got anything else? You ready for our cool Easter eggs? Let's go to our cool Easter eggs. Okay. And I, uh, I'll start off by pointing out that Steve Buscemi takes part in a heist in this movie. What is this, Reservoir Dogs? Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> that's where I first, that's where my mind went immediately. He's totally typecast into that role of that's really funny. participant in a heist. And then we had Danny DeVito as a ringleader. What is this, Disney's live-action Dumbo? <laughs> And then finally, we had David Denman as the brutish oaf who's engaged to the main love interest. What is this? NBC's The Office? Oh, my God. (laughs) I I mean, it's not necessarily your classic Easter egg, but I did think it was interesting that we saw these characters in like similar roles to other movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, it helps. It helps you imagine them that way. Well, especially wanna... David Denman. That one, I was like, are you kidding me? He's even engaged? Like, yes. Roy and Pam is like the most famous, like, I'm going to steal your girl from you while you're engaged. <laughs> and now it happens in this one as well. At the As a result of David Denman's character's violence, because he also tries to fight Jim in the office. <laughs> so it's like, this guy knows his role. Like, he does this one thing really, really well. I felt I really felt bad for 
um, what's his name in this movie? What, what's his name? Don. Uh, Don. Don. I felt bad for Don. I think we should put him in our list of boyfriends that get screwed. Oh, um, yeah. The Chads like, that yeah, get, uh, like, yeah. What's his name? Brad from uh, uh, Small Soldiers. Yes. Uh, Justice for Brad. Least, I think we had at least two more. Oh, uh, the guy from uh, Bubble Boy. Um, right. I don't remember his name. It was probably uh, but, Brad also, yeah. <laughs> something like that. Jason. Yeah. Some other name. Um, we gotta we gotta put uh we gotta put Don in that list. We, yeah, we need to f- compile an official list. But you, I know what you're saying. Like the chads that get the short end of the stick purely because of the narrative. Because Just because they need- they're not the main character. Exactly, and <laughs> it's like because uh ed- like editorially Edward mentions that Don is like a big like a big uh, jerk. He's like they're one of the biggest jerks in Ashton, right, or or something like that. Uh, but you never see him be a jerk to anybody never. except for. When he's his girl's about to be stolen, um, he uh he he's always like sitting on the bench, being like, "Oh man, like Edward Bloom did it again." Like it's kind of like this like rivalry, but it's not really a rivalry because it's like, contrived. Edward Bloom when was it supposed to be a rivalry? Does not even like realize he exists or does not yes. care what he thinks. You they know? never they never make it obvious because in those scenes where you know uh, Edward is being the best at sports, and then they show um, Don being not that stoked on it even though he's his teammate it doesn't really make sense in the moment you're like this should pay off later i guess but why are we paying attention to this guy because wouldn't he also be happy his team is winning you know like like the again uh, this is me being way too uh, much of a dork about sports but like if your teammate makes the game winning shot you're not upset that you didn't get to make the game winning shot you're stoked that you won in football even if your face ends up in the mud if your teammate scored a touchdown and you had to end up on the mud, that's football. You're happy it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does matter if that guy who did it, you hate for some yes, reason. Right? For some reason. If, right, which they don't explain yeah, why. There is really. no reason. <laughs> <laughs> which, I, again, I, like, I do have more problems with that because at the same time, he was destined for this early death. And I don't know yes. if it would have been as easy to justify, but... It definitely doesn't make Edward wrong if uh, Don dies of a heart attack on the toilet and then he swoops in is like, well, you're not going to marry him now, you know, as opposed to (laughs) as opposed to what happens, which is they get into a fight. She gets mad that Don is so so violent. And then just after he dies an early death for no reason, like it's that just seems cruel. It's like adding insult to injury. It's not only did the protagonist steal your girl. But you also die on the toilet, loser. Right. When you, yeah, you're totally, you're so irrelevant to the story that you just, you serve as a, a narrative, like, uh, like point to show that the witch can tell you how you're, is accurate and how you're going to die. Right. You it's, know? I, I, I don't know. I feel, yeah, you're right. I, I agree with you on saying that we need justice for Dawn, justice for Brad, justice for Bubble Boy, Bubble Boy, like, fiance. Uh, yeah groom i don't remember his name (laughs) but that's it that's all those are my easter eggs okay i love those easter eggs all right i got a couple these ones i i took from imdb's um trivia section and i thought these were pretty good uh the joke with the elephant defecating while edward daydreams was unscripted the filming crew found it hilarious and quickly zoomed out to get the whole thing so um yeah, I, it's kind of interesting a little thing where he's sitting there raking the mud, and then there's a there's an elephant butt right there, and then the elephant poops, and it's just like, how did they? Was he just sitting there waiting for them to say, you know, 
But it wasn't. It was a total accident. Totally serendipitous. It there definitely made other, the like, work look unappealing. <laughs> definitely. But there's a lot of like little moments kind of like that with like animals and stuff. There's that part where the crow steals the his hat right off his head. You know, it's like, yeah. did they train a crow to do that? Or is that like a, a string? Or like, I don't know. There's a lot of, a lot of moments in here that um, are really, really good as far as special effects go. That whole time stop thing, and he's like walking through the circus. He's pushing the, uh, the popcorn out yeah. of the way. It's falling. All that's really impressive, and it looks so good. Um, the fish, which is like CGI, because it's like in the water, and it's like kind of distorted and everything, that still looks really good. Um, and then totally this, agree. this this thing with the um with the elephant just kind of adds to like oh like what is possible exactly like you know obviously this is an accident but like it adds to this element of like oh it's so magical this movie is so magical um even though it's the elephant pooping so thought that was cool yeah yeah definitely my next one is uh matthew mcgory uh carl the giant appreciated the shoes the costume department made for him out of luggage while he was alive he held the guinness world record for the largest feet size 29.5 wow crazy. he's um yeah. he's actually i know that he is actually very large in real life but obviously in the stories he's embellished to be much larger and that was another special effect i think went over really well they made him look oh, absolutely yeah. huge yeah so like i was thinking about that because there's these moments where you look up at him and he like somebody and he hands him the pack or like he hands him the contract and stuff and he grabs it. So like I was wonder I was really wondering about how they did those scenes, you know? Like did they have two different contracts? So like remember so Danny DeVito's in the circus and he's going to hand him that involuntary servitude contract yeah. and he's he's like he hands it up to him and then it, the camera sh- changes, the shot changes and um you see Carl grab the piece of paper. So my theory is that they had two different pieces of paper, one that Danny De- was Danny DeVito's size and one that was Carl the Giant sized, right? And then they, he, would, he grabbed it, it was smaller. And then he's, when he's writing on the back of the guy that plays the Oompa Loompa, uh, Mr. Soggy Bottom, like, was he really using some sort of like dummy to like do that so that his hand and arms like looked so much bigger and that thing? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, those little effects are so powerful because they're so subtle. Definitely, especially when you think about how normally in movies these tricks are used to make short actors look tall. Anyways, um, looking at Tom Cruise, so <laughs> it's uh, you know it's it's amazing to see how how far that can go to make people seem that much larger than life. I love the idea that they just give Tom Cruise small things to make him look normal sized. <laughs> <laughs> Like they have like guns and stuff that are just like a little like they're like eighty percent smaller than like a regular gun, <laughs> just so that he Joe looks normal. <laughs> Otherwise, like it just looks too big in his hand. <laughs> okay, so I think that is going to wrap up our Easter eggs. I just quickly want to talk about the songs in this movie uh, because when you have this kind of money, this kind of budget to make a movie, you can afford to get some of the best songs. And uh, this movie included notable hits like Ramblin' Man by the Allman Brothers, All Shook Up by Elvis Presley, and my personal favorite inclusion in the entire movie, Every Day by Buddy Holly. And that was the song that played when he was on his way out of the circus and towards Auburn where he was going to talk to Sandra and propose to her. And I think those are all great songs. I definitely added them to my Spotify so I can keep listening to them. Nice. And all I found out while I was looking up the the 
the actual soundtrack, that Big Fish Music from the Motion Picture was nominated for the Academy Award and Golden Globe Award for Best Original Score. So it was, cool. it was highly praised, for sure. Um, and I think that that comes across well throughout the entire movie. Absolutely. Okay. Are we ready for our quotes? We're moving to our quotes. Okay. I have the first one. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So this, this is, is when a young Edward. Edward is young, and he's talking to the witch. And this is after she's spooked all of his friends away. It's just him and the witch. And he says, I was thinking about death and all, and seeing how you're going to die. I mean, on one hand, if dying was all you thought about, it could kind of screw you up. But it could kind of help, couldn't it? Because everything else you knew you could survive. I guess I'm saying I'd like to know. And then she shows him. And he goes, huh, that's how I go. So I think that this is a really powerful idea. And maybe. First of all, be- that child actor is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the actual t- child actor or me, my impression of him? <laughs> no, you were fine. I cannot stand that kid. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. It, it, um, I just think it's an interesting question to pose because you could make a whole movie that's like. I don't know, about knowing that you won't die until a certain time. And then with that knowledge, what would you try? What would you do if you if you knew it wouldn't kill you? And Edward does live his life this way with this, you know, assumed knowledge that he knows how he's going to die. And it makes it it's really powerful because he's willing to basically go through anything. But it's um, I don't know. I just I think it's a powerful idea. He, I don't think that he really knew. I think that this is definitely an embellishment, right? But the idea itself is really powerful. Well, it's interesting. I, I, I yeah, I'm gonna get to that in a second. Uh, but I well, also want to talk about him, him uh, in the hospital bed, right? Like, because he says he asked his son, "How do I go?" And I wonder if what he saw in the eye or what he envisioned for his future was that his son, him in the hospital bed, while his son is telling a story about his life yeah you know? and i wonder if that's what it was and like so he's setting that up by saying how do i go will he's not he's not desperately clinging to um the hope that he still has a wonderful life or an interesting life he's he's this is the way it goes is yeah he dies while his son like passes on his legacy in a way by telling uh, a story i definitely think you know, because of how mystical his stories are, you don't know. Maybe that's why he lived such an interesting life because he really did see the way he end, like his life ends in the witch's eye, in which case, um, you know, maybe that's the reason he did it. But I also think that there's something to be learned from Edward in this situation. When you tell a story, it's obviously in the past, so you can embellish all the dangerous exploits you want. Obviously, you survive. Yes. And I think a really big example of this was when he was walking towards Spectre. He was taking that old road that nobody takes anymore. And there's this just random inclusion of running through the jumping spiders in the swamp. And it doesn't mean anything. He doesn't get bit. It doesn't have any impact moving forward. But for a moment, it is extra excitement. And if yes. you have a story that's already happened, that you definitely survived, you can put yourself in life-threatening situations for added tension. Because, again, you definitely survived, so you can do that. <laughs> yeah, but he also mentions, like, it's like, when he's talking to the giant, right? Like, I know I was going to survive this, but, like, I also don't know if I'm going to make out of this, you know, in one piece, right? I could like 
I could survive, but then have only one arm, you know, like that right. could happen. Um, I think it's interesting, this idea of like, what would you like? How would you live your life if you um, if you knew how you're going to die? I mean, on one hand, it's like, oh, like you could act just like Edward Bloom does and you could take more risks and you could, you know, kind of live your life more fully, I suppose, if you weren't afraid of things that might happen in the future. But at the same time, like um, it goes back to like that. They had a Rick and Morty episode about this where like Rick or Morty finds out how he's going to die. And so he like does everything to make sure that it's going to end up that way. But it doesn't. But turns out that the way he's going to die is totally different than what he thought. He only saw a small snapshot of it. And it turns out to be like a completely different situation. And so like that could also leads you to this misleading conclusion plus like how can you tell if it's the future how can you tell that 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 future is not going to change right oh yeah we don't we don't know what kind of we don't know how time works well enough to be able to say that this is definitively the way it ends you know maybe it maybe something you do alters it maybe simply of knowing it changes the way it's going to happen who knows it's it seems like a gamble that's almost not worth taking because you would just be like well i don't know how accurate this is going to be you know i don't know how much i can change of this Right. So it's it's it becomes kind of an impossible question. Especially if it's super soon, that would be stressful. I think the kid who found out he falls when he's an old man, like that was such a fortunate like uh future for him where you can be like, Okay, I don't have to worry about that for a while. Yeah, but I mean you could use the um I don't know, you could use this knowledge to like do all sorts of weird things, right? You could like <laughs> you could um get a person and a lottery ticket and you for tomorrow's lottery and then kill him while you're holding the lottery ticket next to him and then you tell then you get him to look into the eye and tell you what the uh lottery numbers are going to be <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean like you could you could exploit this in, in like a really weird way <laughs> by using human life to see the future well, I thought because she was a witch, there was going to be some sort of twist, you know, like where because you were curious enough to try to figure it out, then now you're doomed or something. But um, obviously not. I think the twist is that is, is what he says here, right? Is like, oh, this is a terrifying thing. Why would you ever know that? But then it turns out that like, oh, if you do, it gives you a certain power if you know that. So if you're unafraid, then it gives you an advantage, you know, instead of being fearful of the future um well i i, th I think you could yeah, even yeah. you fold this on itself again and say that like something like this probably didn't even happen but because edward is old now and he's lived through it all he can throw that in there and be like yeah actually i already knew from the beginning which is why i lived such an epic life you know it makes it that much more <laughs> compelling whenever he makes a risky choice that may or may not ha have happened he'd be like well i knew i wasn't gonna die so i just did it brave style you know and uh, i don't know it may <laughs> It's hard to tell when he's such a great storyteller. It is. It is. All right. Let's, okay. uh, let's keep this rolling. And I've got the next quote as well. Um, and this is when Edward is leaving Ashton and everybody on the way out of town has advice for him. But there's one counsel he holds above all, and that is of the witch. And she says, well, he, he says what she like. He repeats what she said to him. And she said that the biggest fish in the river gets that way by never being caught. And this quote, I think, is very similar to a probably more known quote or, or saying, which is a rolling stone gathers no moss. 
You know, you have to stay active to avoid stagnation. And I just think that that's a really powerful idea throughout this entire movie. And it's really explicitly stated here. I think this is a weird quote because he also talks about earlier in the movie, he talks about how the only way to catch an uncatchable woman is with a wedding ring, right? There's this, uh, the use of the word catch here, um, make, like makes me think that he's talking about like settling down and having a family. Right. Um, and so, and that ties into this question of infidelity that's kind of pervasive throughout the movie and Will's constant, like he's constantly talking about how his father was never there. Right. Yeah. Um, and like how he felt like he, he was always absent from his life and to the point where maybe he even had a second family because he was spending so much time not at home. Um, and so it makes me think like, this is like a excuse he gives, right? It was like, I can never settle down. I can never, you know, live the simple life or anything, even though like his actions and other stories don't really support that. So it, it's, I don't know, maybe it's just a coincidence that he uses the word caught here, but I, I was, I was caught on the word caught here. Uh, and it's, it's meaning earlier in the movie. No, definitely. It can it it can cut both ways. And I think the way that Edward lives his life, he tries to make the case for it. And you can decide if that case is uh, convincing to you or not. But there's definitely a lot of things that make you say, hey, maybe you need to stop being so selfish and care more about the people in your life that love you and that and you're allegedly love them because yeah he is very absent and even if he does reconcile with his son right before his death he still spent a lot of time not having a great relationship with him despite living this amazing life right so right it's he's definitely not perfect and that's the thing and what you said was exactly right like from the very beginning uh, Will, remember that there's that part where uh, I guess early on the boat. I guess it's after Will's wedding. Yeah, um, he says like, "For once in your life, can you not make it about you?" I'm just a footnote in that story, you know. And like, Edward's excuses. Everyone loves that story. Everyone loves that story. But like, maybe they do. But like, maybe this isn't the place for it. Like, um, him, he it always turns back to him. Every time there's a there's a there's a quiet moment at the table or something, he has to bring it back to. Hey, I have this great story about me and how awesome I am, you know? Yep. It's he is kind of a blowhard. Like it's <laughs> it's hard to it, it is magical and he's a great storyteller and stuff, but even with the embellishments, a lot of his life is questionably lived in the sense that he is more uh concerned with living his own life than being there for the people that he loves. He's he committed so much to his wife, but then he spends so much time away from her. Those two things, it's hard for me to connect them. Yes, definitely. And there's a lot of cognitive dissonance, you might say, yeah. about this movie. All right, I got the next quote. All right, and um, uh, I'm going to use your help for this one. So you can be, um, you can be Maul. Okay. Or uh, not Maul. What's her name? <laughs> the Yeah, the French wife, William's wife. Um, Josephine. You can be Josephine. I'll be Josephine. And I will be old Ed. Will never told you? Probably just as well. He would have told it wrong. All the facts, none of the flavor. So this is a tall tale? Well, it's not a short one. Um, I love this because it's so... I mean, it's, the, it's kind of the whole idea of the movie, right? The, the movie itself reflects Edward's own stories and that they, you get to see them acted out and played out in front of you in all of their wonderful glory. Um, and so she kind of, she understands what he's about to say as a tall tale, as a, a tale that may be 
may not have all the facts straight. Um, but he doesn't seem to care so much about that. He cares way more about the flavor of it, the um, you know, the feeling of it, the the expression and the you know, uh, I don't I don't have a word for it. But he's he's showing this beautiful story in a different way in a new perspective as opposed to just what happened and throughout the movie they kind of like play with this idea of like well if i just told you the facts it'd be boring but it's like eh, i don't know like you could say it in a more interesting way if you use more inflection the way you told the facts maybe that would be more interesting <laughs> if you just if you just uh but if you you know you put all this emphasis and all this um extra work into making this other story this other perspective more interesting that obviously it's gonna be more interesting so i don't know I, I like the this this part especially i think it, it frames the movie really well yeah it definitely helps you understand edward's approach to history or at least their own history yes okay i got another question i got another quote um and i'm gonna be i'm gonna be uh young will you can be or not young will i'll, I'll just be regular will middle-aged will <laughs> 30 something will, year old will right 30 something will and you can be, be old old Ed. edward yeah okay look i'm about to have a kid of my own and it would kill me if he went through his whole life never understanding me it would kill you huh there's a couple of really good the dialogue in this movie is pretty good um there's a couple of really good moments where things kind of twist on their heads and like i don't think will quite understands what his father means by this uh, it would kill you, huh? Phrase because it's like he he's he's desperately reaching out to his father. You know, at this point, he's been encouraged by many members of his family to reach out to him and try to connect to him because he feels like he's missing that connection. But um, the, the conversation does not go very well, um, and Will is desperately trying to say, "I need to understand what's really happening here. I need to understand more about your life, and I don't feel like I understand very much about your life at all." And Edward is like, well, you're missing the whole point, aren't you? You're, you're not listening to what I'm saying, right? You're too focused on these other things that are, I'm telling you aren't important, but you're not paying that attention. And so in that way, right, he doesn't, the son does not understand the father, and the father doesn't really, doesn't understand why his son doesn't understand him. And so this point where he says, my, like, I would kill me that my son wouldn't know me. Um, is um kind of a revelation in that he doesn't feel like he understands his father and his father being like oh so that's the worst thing ever and that's what you're telling me is going on to me right now is that you don't <laughs> understand me thanks it is i mean it definitely is once you understand edward it would be really hard to hear at this moment in his life after having told these stories that he himself holds in such high regard to hear from his son somebody who he allegedly you know feels very strongly about and is important Allegedly. to him well i don't know three years not talking to each other after getting in a fight at his wedding family is family and things are tough and drama and all that stuff but i yeah. don't know it, would it kill you to reach out to your son you know like <laughs> so right. um but no it, but seriously in this moment uh saying this to edward must be gut it must have gutted him <laughs> mm, nice <laughs> because you know he really does think that these stories the way he tells them that's who he is, and that's the life he wants. That's the legacy he wants to live or leave. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting how he frames this whole thing. I really do like the framing device of this movie of their them him telling the stories from his bed, right? 
and his life is is over but you're going over the uh, you're going through every major point in his life from his birth to um when he was like young to his um growing up and then uh meeting his wife and then going to war and then being a salesman like his whole life is right there in this in the movie can i can uh, i do something i haven't done in a little while that sure. you know uh, i used to do all the time but this movie reminds me of sucker punch because <laughs> they they frame these flashbacks these stories in a way where you're allowed to do the fantastic and the impossible you're allowed to go over the you know you're allowed to use special effects because you just want to not because that's the reason you showed up for the movie like you can say yes big fish has good special effects but that's not the reason you're watching you know right that's something that they add on top and by uh creating or it's like it has ewan mcgregor which maybe that's the reason you're watching but (laughs) having these flashbacks enables you to go beyond and be fantastic and by building a plot structure around that that enables that it makes it a good movie it doesn't feel like they just made an excuse they're like well we have a lot of money so here's special effects it's like we have a story that's worth telling and the way that we're telling it enables us to do the fantastic and here you go here's this amazing flashbacks with all the fantastic colors and magic yeah but i also think that this movie does that so much better than sucker punch too because it it brings you into that, but then it asks you, what's real exactly? Sucker Punch, it kind of it kind of clearly tells you this is not real. Yes. Whereas this one, you're you left to make that decision yourself. And that makes it way more interesting to talk about. And I think that's why uh, maybe we'll get to this in a second, but I think that's why these stories work the way they do, is because they have this vagary to them. Because if they are just interesting, if they were just like, oh, that's a fun story, you would tell it and then that would be the end of it, you know, and everyone would be like, wow, I liked hearing that. But if, but if you don't know what's true about the story, suddenly you have so much more to talk about and it keeps bringing, being brought up. Like, wait, did that really happen? Was Danny DeVito really, really a werewolf? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And you, like, you return to it over and over again. And that's what like makes it a really powerful story, a uh, one that's worthy of a legacy. Okay, I got another another quote. Uh, this is from uh, Doctor Bennett, uh, the family's longtime doctor, um, who is talking to Will while um, Edward is in the hospital. Um, I will be uh, I'm keep being Will again. No, keep being I'll, Will. I'll, I'll be, be Will this time. All right, you can be Doctor Bennett. All right, here we go. I'm glad to see you aren't trying to have a heartfelt talk. One of my greatest annoyances is when people try to talk to those who can't hear them. Well, we have an advantage. My father and I never talk. I think this is, uh, again, really great use of dialogue to show two things at the same time. Um, Obviously, Will is uh, sitting there waiting for his father to wake up. He's kind of in like a, he's had a stroke or something. He's asleep, uh, maybe in a coma. We're not really sure. And, um, Dr. Bennett comes in and says that he wants some, you know, you should, like, don't talk to him. He can't hear you. But again, then he's saying it the other way around, right? That uh, Edward's always talking to Will, but Will's never quite hearing him. Um, and Will verifies that with his next line about how his, him and his father never talk. So I like this a lot. I think it's pretty clever. Um, and I think it's um, interesting of Dr. Bennett's uh, perspective here, especially since it does. What Edward is trying to say eventually does penetrate to Will and gets him, um, and he is, it turns out, you know, he was listening and he did listen. Um, and even though it took him a while to come back around to it, turns out he was, his ears were open the whole time. Well, can I say something about Dr. Bennett that is definitely yes. off topic, but 
Did he look like Dr. Ben Carson to you? <laughs> Not until you just said that. Well, it, it, maybe it's because my name is so similar to Ben Carson's, but I that's who I saw. And uh, <laughs> anyway, sorry, that's that's a tangent. <laughs> yes, he does. He does sort of remind me of Sleepy Sleepy Ben. Sleepy. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I got one more quote here, uh, and this one is from Will um, when he's talking about. Uh, is the end of the movie, the, the epilogue, you might say, after they've re- laid Edward to, um, to rest. Yep. That was my father's final joke, I guess. A man tells his story so many times that he becomes the stories. They live on after him. And in that way, he becomes immortal. So this ties into what I was just saying about legacy and a story that lasts, right? Um, he, he turned himself into that big fish in a way. Uh, and so that people can keep telling that story over and over again. And you see that at the very end with the, at the funeral. Um, those last few moments in the movie are so powerful. Uh, Will says when he's giving that uh, eulogy, not the eulogy, but like when he's telling his father how he goes, right? He says, and the strange thing is there's not a, you know, everyone's smiling. No one is, ha- no one is sad. There's not a sad face to be seen. And you see that at the funeral too. Nobody is crying. You know, everyone's laughing, everyone's talking and stuff. And they're all clearly talking about all the, they're gesturing wildly, you know, gesticulating. They're, they're clearly talking about Edward and like how much he meant to them and celebrating his life. I think that's so wonderful. Yes, um, I agree. Steve just, Buscemi is so good in that scene. Where he's like telling the story and he almost <laughs> hits somebody with his hand and he's like, oh, my bad. But then he like gets back into telling the story. You can't hear any of it, but you totally yes. can hear it, you know? Yes. And it, it's just... It just proves that Will was right in that last moment, right? Of like uh, how he becomes the stories. The stories live on after him, and that's how he that's how he secures that legacy. Yeah, uh, I think it's so. I think it's so cool. I uh, there's a there's an additional quote that goes along with this that's said a little bit earlier that I want to quickly go through. Um, can you be Will for this one? Yes. Okay. So this and I'm Edward. So, what do you want, Will? Who do you want me to be? Just yourself. Good, bad, everything. Just just show me who you are for once. I've been nothing but myself since the day I was born. If you can't see that, it's your failing, not mine. And I, I, this goes along with like what Will realizes at the end. It's that it doesn't matter what the facts were or the good, bad, and the everything, right? Edward identifies so heavily with his stories. He believes that they are a part of who he is. And he, that's how he wants to be remembered. So yes. that's how he, he wants Will to see him that way as well because it's more, in a way, it's more factually him than the factual reality of what happened because that's it's how... It's weird, he, but yes. Yeah, that's how he sees himself. That's what's more important to him. And um, yeah, I think that that's really powerful. It's, it's how he leaves his legacy, like you said. Okay. Um, do I move on to our next section? Yes. Our final and, section? Yes, and I believe you know what time it is, Joey. It is time for us to go a little deeper. 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 Okay, so I think this ties in directly what we were just talking about. And this is my main issue with the messaging in this movie, which is can we responsibly tell lies or embellish the truth? So in the context of this movie, um, what Edward Bloom does is ultimately harmless, right? Maybe he has that strained connection with his son, but that's resolved by the end, and I think in a very convincing way. Um, 
I think him telling these stories about his life ultimately don't harm anyone. And it, it just makes him more interesting. But what's also like important to be noted, and you've touched on this a couple of times already, is that he lived an interesting life. Regardless of how the stories are told, he still did a lot of the things that he said he did. Maybe not in an exact way, but he still did it, which is categorically different than someone who just lies, right? There's a different movie you could tell that's similar to this, where the father is simply a liar, and he didn't do any of the things he did. He just said he did all these things. You know what I mean? Right. And then the son discovers that, and then he has to kind of reconcile those two, these two people that he thought he knew. Where right? Will spends the whole movie uncovering the truth about all these lies, and at the end of his yes. life, he has to decide whether he wants to know his father as like the disappointing, boring person he was, or this fantastic liar. Exactly. So it, that's, a diff- that's a totally different thing than what's happening in this movie. However, there is kind of, that's the lesson that I feel like you could take away from this is like, oh, maybe the facts aren't as important. Maybe the, uh, the exploits and the, the, the things that happened aren't as important as telling an interesting story. And maybe you should sacrifice one for the other. And I don't really think that's what the movie is necessarily saying, but it's kind of saying that. Yeah. And so, but I also feel like we have this obligation to tell the truth. I don't know if we're at a point in... This is going to be the most pretentious thing I've said in a while. I don't know if we're at a point in our society where we can responsibly tell truth, tell lies like this. We're at a point where we can handle <laughs> mythologies the way that Edward Bloom thinks we can. Right. I think we are not, um, we're not a mature enough as a species to handle that kind of thing. <laughs> I think I think you can pick and choose the things that you want to to take away from this because I don't think we all need to be Edward Bloom, right? As far as living our lives and telling a story that's not truthful but is more interesting. But you can still take inspiration from him for living a life that's worth telling. Like do like don't stay in your comfort zone. Go out there and achieve your goals while you can. Understand that you your time on this earth is limited. You have to go and do it if you want it to happen. I think that's a great lesson to take away. I Absolutely. also think that if you're going to tell a story, especially if it's a boring story about your life, <laughs> make it interesting. You know, be a good storyteller if you're gonna you know let make people listen to you. Those two things can both be true, but. Like turning your entire past into some mythology where you blur the lines completely between truth and reality. I don't know if they make a strong enough case to say that people should just go ahead and do that willy nilly. Right. But that's like, like, I think the idea, we talked about this at the very beginning, like, like the idea of like objective reporting or like, like showing that you're, you know, showing the entire thing from with all this perspective is not worth pursuing, you know, because you should really be like the only thing that's going to grab people and make it last is if you have people, if you have an interesting way of saying it or you have an interesting element to it that leaves this kind of vague notion of what's true and what's impossible. Um, and I don't like, I don't know, I feel like that's that just sits with me wrong, especially like right now with all the kind of misinformation that kind of pervades like our society it's so hard for me to be like oh like you know this is this is better this is a better way of doing things um i think the the best way to do it is probably way way harder where you're both telling the exact truth but in a way that's interesting right um but i don't think 
what we get here is really any better than just telling the story uh, with just the facts. You're not really, you're not really getting, you're not really telling what really happened. And I think that's, I don't think I can really get over that too much. I don't know. Yeah, and I think that's up to you to decide. You know, yeah. I think for the personal relationship between Will and Edward, I think it makes sense that Will accepts the embellished version of history as a way to preserve his father's legacy. But yes. I don't know if we can apply that to all relationships or all people's history. Exactly, and I think that again, like I really like this movie, and I don't want it to be like, oh, I didn't like the, the this is stupid that it says this. I think it just doesn't. It doesn't quite show you the full thing. And again, like for the context of the movie, telling the story about one man's life in an interesting way and showing him how that, you know, touches all these different people and how that leads him to this kind of realm of immortality. I think it's really powerful and I really and I really appreciate and like that. And I wish we could do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think we really can. <laughs> okay. Well, are we ready to deliver our ratings? Yes. Okay. I actually want to go first. Okay. I give this movie a poem that I wrote. Okay. Oh. And here it goes. The grass is so green. Sky's so blue. Big fish is really great. That's it? <laughs> that's, uh, that's it, actually. I finished the poem. That oh, was wow. What, that's what Steve was going for, or rather, Norther was going for. Thank you for the, the snaps. <laughs> You're welcome. What, do you, what is your rating? My rating is uh, similar to yours. Moving to the most perfect little town forever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that's Big Fish. Um, what I actually want to know, what was it that brought Big Fish to you? Like, what, what made you want to watch it right now? Um, I think my parents might have mentioned it, that they said I should, I should watch this movie. And yeah, I, I really do like this movie. I've seen it. I don't know how many times I've seen it. Um, it's it's so it touches me so much yeah i actually had never seen it before and i'm really glad i did like i always say this but it's probably not accurate anymore it's like this is not the type of movie i would usually go for but at this point most movies that i watch are not movies i would usually go for right the whole point so what is does that, that mean well Whoa. it's like <laughs> it's the movies you don't usually go for the movies you usually go for what does that mean i don't even know it doesn't it's lost all meaning now that I, we do, we've done this podcast i mean this is like we we've been doing this for so long i don't really have like a default genre that i associate with it's all just an experience but anyways let's see what we're let's talk about what we're watching next so joey what's next on affable chat next is unket gems um, and this is how I win the movie. This, <laughs> that is the meme that I want to understand. The this is how I win meme. <laughs> so we're going to watch Uncut Gems, Adam Sandler. It's going to be epic, I think. Um, and hopefully a lot of people have seen it, so they'll want to listen. Uh, if you're listening right now, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you listen to us, make sure you leave us a review. It really does help us grow. You can reach us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Our handles are the same on all of them, at AffableChat, or you can send us an email, AffableChat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel where we post videos, not always about movies, but sometimes episodes of the podcast. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern, okay? We have this time zone. It's called Eastern, and we're live on Twitch. <laughs> I am on screen. Joey is usually in the chat. And uh, we've been playing a lot of Skate 3, trying to sell 1 million 
skateboards. While okay? we grind for women's rights. That's right. So come join us. Come hang out. Come say hey. Uh, affable chat. It's twitch.tv slash affable chat. Check it out. That's right. And um, I think that's going to close this one up. So for Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.